welcome back to their third tier show. It's Monday, the 22nd of March, and thanks for joining us as we discuss all things League One. Tonight, Matt and I are joined by two very special guests, but I'll introduce Matt first. Matt, how are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. Yeah, it's been a decent week again. Two good results, two good performances. A little bit frustrating at Saturday, but yeah, if someone had said, can you take four points from Doncaster and Lincoln, I would have probably bitten their arm off last Tuesday morning. Yeah, two tough matches and, yeah, like you said, four points. And this week we're joined by two um, special guests. So first and foremost, I'll introduce Sean. Sean, welcome to the third tier. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good to be on. Good. You've had the um, luxury of watching sort of live football. I know it's not the same, obviously, without fans in the stadium, but, you know, how's it been actually watching live football inside stadiums? Yeah, it's been good. Um, A different perspective, obviously, hearing the players on the pitch um, without the fans. It's quite interesting to hear, for example, at Blackpool, Chris Maxwell, the captain's very vocal and it's something that you don't obviously always think about having a keeper as a captain. Um, I finally saw a win after 10 draws in a row as well. So it was just nice to get someone actually giving me somewhat of an entertaining game. But yeah, it's been a good experience. Awesome. And next we uh, introduce Gabriel. Gabriel, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Tom. Uh, It's great to be on the show. I just wanted to say, yeah, I like to think I'm reasonably knowledgeable about League One as it is. I just hope as a Birmingham fan, I don't become a bit more knowledgeable about League One next season. uh, Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. No, yeah, you're more than welcome. So you call yourself an EFL pundit. Um, That's, I said, a man of many talents, but you just said EFL pundit. So talk to to the listeners and the viewers about sort of what you do and, and introduce yourself to them. So, yeah, a few years ago, I kind of started writing about EFL generally because I think that I felt there are a lot of well-supported clubs in the EFL that maybe weren't really getting any attention from the mainstream media. So set up a website and then started writing for other websites about the EFL and EFL teams and stuff like that. And then more recently, I've started doing some video content like this. So, um, yeah, really enjoy just following the EFL and the ups and downs of it. It's been great fun, yeah. So, well, it's been a busy week in the AFL with mm. with all the news, so we'll get straight into the news. Um, for for those that don't know, obviously, um, the Cowley brothers got introduced um, at Portsmouth uh, this week in their, getting a win against Ipswich to, to, to sort of kick their careers off. So Cowley started um, at Braintree, uh, made a very decent name for himself, getting into the playoffs, then made a very good impact on Lincoln, um, where he managed to to get 1.86 points per match. Um, he got them from non-league all the way through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup and then to League One. And as they say, the rest is history. Uh, he played, uh, sorry, managed 95 games for Lincoln, uh, drawing 42 and only losing 39. What's your opinion, Sean, on the appointment of the Cowley Brothers at Portsmouth? I think it's a great appointment, really. I think once that job came available, they were going to be the one and only names that were that mentioned the Cowley Brothers. And obviously they've they've now taken the reins. I think most importantly, the, the thing with Portsmouth, with Jack, it's time there has been that when it's come to the final hurdle, when it's come to the big games, that's where he sort of fell down. Um, and I think the Cowley Brothers thrive off of that sort of environment. I think as well, it'll give uh, the likes of Harness more freedom to play. I think Jacket was too reserved and regressive with his style of playing. I think it it left those types of players like Ronan Curtis as well, sort of not playing to the best of their abilities because they've not got the freedom to play. I think the Cowley brothers are well aware of the freedom to play and the freedom to express while also being disciplined at the back. I think it's the perfect recipe for them to be able to make a, a push for the final end of the season. Yeah, I think the, the the strength and depth they've got, um, like you said, with the players, I don't think there was Kenny Jack was anywhere near getting the best out of them. Um, he got the job at Huddersfield. He did keep them up um, and then he got sacked, um, Gabriel. Did you think that was quite harsh? I said, yeah, I did at the time. I think uh, with Danny and Nicky Cowley, they, um, they want a reasonable say in recruitment. And I think maybe that was big, quite a big part of their, their exit at Huddersfield, where uh, they wanted to go down a more of a head coach, director of football type of uh, situation, if you like. And maybe that wasn't something the Cowleys wanted. So, um, I mean, it's talked about as something that where Huddersfield have sat for the Cowley brothers, but... I certainly don't think it's down to the coaching ability of those um, the brothers because they're meticulous in their work. I feel like they're very adaptable in their work as well. And I think you can see that as well in the win over Ipswich. Lots of people worrying about Portsmouth in terms of their options at top, both their main strikers, uh, Marcus Harness and... Um, not Marcus Harness, um, uh, Harris, Ellis Harrison and, and John Marquise. 
both absent and yet they still managed to win 2-1. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really good appointment for them. And I'm really excited to see how, how that era of Portsmouth plays out. Yeah, I think that was a, is a decent win against, I'm going to, say an, an average Ipswich side to to say the least but just to settle down and get that first win um, is going to be really important for their playoff push. Matt your opinions on the appointment I personally think it's a, it's a decent one and is going to get a lot more out of them than Kenny did. Yeah I can only echo what's been said I think it's a, it's a brilliant appointment and like Sean mentioned I think as soon as it became available they, they was after the Cowleys really I know Daniel Stender was mentioned for a while but it seemed that the Cowleys were the number one target and I think it's a really good fit I'm just interested to see how they set up because obviously they were quite direct at Lincoln. Um, I've had this chat with a few people on social media over the weekend and I think uh, Gabe caused all of that and sat back and ate his popcorn and enjoyed himself afterwards. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Like we mentioned, there's a couple of players that you'd probably say in terms of strikers a first choice that didn't even feature at the weekend. I'm not sure whether they were injured or just not selected, but it's a very good win and it's... Um, Paul Cook at Ipswich probably hasn't hit the ground running as much as he'd have liked, but they've still got good players at the same time. And the good thing for Pompey was that they came from behind as well. And I think that shows that they've obviously, they want to play for for Danny Cowley. I'm not sure they were still playing for Kenny Jacket as much as they maybe could have been. And um, yeah, it's a really good come from behind victory. And uh, just touching on the Huddersfield reign as well, I think it was it was something to do with behind the scenes things that, that caused them to leave wasn't it and I think working in tricky conditions I think they won a third of their games which wasn't a disaster and he stepped up to the championship and he's gone back down a level but he's gone back down a level to a very big club traditionally and I think Portsmouth now have probably got a good chance as, as anyone to gate crash that top six I think the top two is probably beyond them this season but even if they don't go up I think next season they'll have a full, full summer to get their real their own stamp on it really really well and then they probably have to be favourites to win the league yeah, you said um, they won a further games at Huddersfield. Yeah, so his career at Huddersfield was 13 games, drawn 11 and lost 16. He took over from you know, a difficult situation. They beat West Brom, I think, on the last game of the season. I think it was. It was 2-1. And then straight after that, he, he sort of left. So he did a cracking job for them. And a lot, of, a lot of people remember him for his time at Lincoln. But, you know, he, he sorted Huddersfield out, in my opinion, when he took over from there. Um, Gabriel, we just had a, a little nice message here from you, for you. Uh, Tandrine George says, can I say, Gabe, your tweets? Oh, poetry emotion. What a bloke. <laughs> what a day. <laughs> um, moving on from, from Portsmouth, obviously there's another managerial appointment, Nigel Atkins and um, at Charlton, should I say, sorry. Um, sure, uh, Gab, we'll start with you. Um, what was your sort of, it was kind of an out of blue appointment, wasn't it? There was some, there was some talk in the background, but then it just randomly got announced. So what was your opinions on it when you first saw the news? Yeah, I, um, I, I think Nigel Adkins is a really good manager. We've talked about how uh, the Cowleys have plenty of potential and I think that's a great appointment for Portsmouth. I think it's an equally good appointment for Charlton because he's uh, he's just got that positive energy about him, hasn't he? He's won back-to-back promotions with two different clubs at Stunthorpe and Southampton, which I, I think is a, an achievement, although a, a fair while ago now you, you can't sort of look beyond that took Hull into the top half of the championship, which given the issues at Hull and how managers there have struggled, I think that's a pretty good achievement. Didn't quite work out for him at uh, Sheffield United and, and maybe to an extent Reading, but I um, I don't know if you look at his social media on mornings and he just gives me a lift. He, he makes me smile, that guy, and uh, and that's what I like about, about him. So I just think he's going to lift the mood around the place. And Although Bowyer's exit wasn't a sacking, it was actually Mike in Birmingham kind of poaching him. Um, you know, maybe there are a little bit of suggestions that maybe his time at Charlton was going maybe a tiny bit stale there. And I think Adkins and his positive energy might just give the place a lift. It's, uh, it's brilliant that you said that because um, Sean was saying um, on the on the Seasiders Patreons group that if this means that's the end of Nigel Atkins is. Um, inspirational talks in the morning i'm not happy about the appointment <laughs> yeah that sounds um, all right so yeah he had a his long managerial career really spending sort of four years at scunthorpe um then he took over at saints then moved on to Reading, and like you say sheffield united wasn't his his finest hour um and then finishing up at hull before this job but at scunthorpe he went from manager to um sorry sorry from physio to manager um and as you say he went to the promotion he got promoted to the championship twice which was a huge achievement at the time especially for a club like Scunthorpe don't you agree Sean 
Yeah, definitely. I think he's got an interesting dynamic coming into it as well. I know he's big on sports psychology um, and the sort of the modernised approaches to the game, um, judging by what he's been saying recently on social media and things like that. So it's as Gab said, I think Bowie had pretty much reached the ceiling with Charlton. I think it was it was probably inevitable that if not now, then it would have been at the end of the season. He probably would have ended up moving on anyway. Um, and Adkins there, as you say, can give him another push. And I think they've got the squad there to to really give it another push because you've got three players there, Connor Washington, Jaden Stockley, Chucks and EK have all got double figures this season. They share the goals around the team. They've got lots of quality in that side. And if you can get the best out of them, then there's absolutely no reason why they can't have a push for the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Matt, we'll finish up with you again. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm really intrigued by this thing. I think if you strip back all the, the abilities and, and, you know, the promotions and all that, and Nigel Atkins, you know, his CV stands up in terms of EFL managers over the last 10, 15 years, I'll get that entirely. But I just think it's going to be really interesting to watch because he is a polar opposite to Lee Bowyer, who was very intense and, and almost came across as moody and a bit like a sulky child when they got beat. But whereas Nigel Atkins goes completely the other way. be interesting to see whether he sent poor old um, Akin for Maywawa an inspirational message on Sunday morning after his house <laughs> at the afternoon. But um, that's probably not the best way to sort of endear yourself to the new gaffer in the first hour of your first game while he's watching on. But, you know, it happens. That's a reason they play in League One, isn't it? And he'll, he'll learn from it. And he'll, he's probably got the right manager in um, Adkins, to be fair, for that sort of thing. Whereas if it was Poyer, he'd have probably come out and he'd have got absolutely obliterated in the press afterwards. Or, you know, or he might have blamed Steve Evans, Lee Bowyer, to be fair. But... Um, no, I think it's a really good appointment, all jokes aside. I think, like Sean touched on, they've got loads of good players. The, the, the strikers, they, they all pose a different type of threat. Anike's a big lump, but he can run in behind. Washington's been really good. Uh, Stockley, I think it is, who coming on loan from Preston's been decent enough. He scored against us a few weeks ago and he's got good aerial ability. But even further back, you've got people like Gilby can't even get in the side and he was very good for MK Dons last season, Forster Kasky. It's just, it's just a good side, isn't it? The only thing that concerns me in terms of them and the playoffs is I think they lack a bit of pace defensively. Um, Chris Gunter's probably coming towards the end of his career. And, and you just when we played them, you just feel you can get at them quite easily. And I know they went on that horrible run at the Valley where I think they went sort of eight on the bounce, conceding at least twice at home. And that's definitely not going to get you in the playoffs. So if Atkins can sort of rectify that... Attacking-wise, they've got as good a chance as anyone of, of, of sneaking into the top six. I completely agree. Uh, Les has just come in with a comment. I love the chant when Scunford went to Chelsea in the FA Cup. You've got Mourinho, we've got our physio. Uh, quality chant that. Very original as well. Um, yeah, I think, Gab, just touching upon um, something in the Championship, which you don't usually do on this show, but how was your feelings on Bowie becoming your manager? Obviously, won his first game. Like Matt said, every single sort of, uh, uh, sort of post-match he had with Scott Minto, he tends to be blaming someone else. I mean, I know they're not the worst side in League One, but when we played them, they were absolutely appalling 1-3-0 and they just weren't up for it. Whether they weren't playing for Bowyer, I don't know. But how do you, yeah, how, what's your thoughts around sort of him becoming your manager and do, do you think he'll do a good enough job to keep you up? Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's a lot more positivity around Blees at the moment. Um, he just seemed to have that connection with fans, I think partly because he was part of the, the League Cup winning side as a player in 2011. That doesn't count for everything, but I don't think it counts for nothing either. And I think he's someone that fans want to get behind. He's someone who knows the importance of, of supporters and, and things like that. So I, I just think when he, when he first took over at Charlton, um, yeah, he, he showed that belief in his players. And I think he showed a little bit of passion as well, which is something we've seen at Birmingham. So maybe at, at Charlton, as his time has gone on, I, I think he's someone who relishes being the underdog. Um, and maybe he does certain things to kind of create a siege mentality at times. And maybe as things have gone on at Charlton, that style of management hasn't stuck in the same way. And I think that as Thomas Sangard came in and um, allowed for lots of investment late in the summer. Charlton haven't really been underdogs as they have been for, for much of Bowyer's reign. They've really been deemed uh, a team that's expected to win. So in some ways, they almost think that it would suit him coming into a relegation dogfight. And he's made a positive impact. Great performance against Reading in his first game in charge, although this is a league one game. And uh, even in the Watford game, please have the chances. So hopefully he'll keep us up and uh, and we won't be joining you next season. But um, I'll still be here to join you for these chats about League One, which is a wonderful tradition. 
Awesome. Uh, Josh has put in um, a bit worried about Brahma. Legend player doesn't always mean a decent manager, but we'll see how they get on in, in the near future. Um, moving on from the managers, um, Matt, you want to go through some? Well, we, we're going to talk about the results now because it's been a crazy couple of sort of game weeks and uh, and some big results to talk about. Yeah, we'll go back to obviously last Tuesday was was the first set of fixtures since since we last spoke, and there was yeah there was some the big results obviously completely biased. I'm going to say the standout one last Tuesday was Jules going to Central Bank and absolutely slapping Lincoln City off the park three 0 Brilliant performance from the Jules, uh, Charlton. Um, First and last game for Johnny Jackson before Nigel Atkins come in. That, that'll give him heart, the fact that they came from 2-0 down. If you're a Bristol Rovers fan, though, you're probably thinking, we're banging trouble here. Joey Barton's not getting a tune out of that team. And he's come out today and absolutely um, caned our former skipper, Max Amar, in the press. And uh, I think that might be the end of Max Amar's time at Bristol Rovers, unfortunately. Looking at other results, Oxford picked up a really big win against Doncaster, but then didn't back it up at the weekend. MK Dons, after a sticky patch, picked up. They won again, beat Plymouth. Blackpool and Burton won all. Peterborough, probably a good time to play Pompey before um, Danny Cowley officially took over and they picked up a 1-0 win, which was good for them. I think if that had been after Cowley, maybe Portsmouth might have got something and the gap between them two is a bit closer. So that's a good win. And Fleetwood was the other standout for me. I know Ipswich probably haven't improved as much as I'd envisaged after Paul Cook came in, but that was still a good win for Fleetwood. Um, so, Gabe or Sean, what did you think in terms of, of standout performances Tuesday night last week? What was your standout result? Go to Gabe first, if we want. Gosh, let go to Gabe. I, I know you said you were biased, uh, Matt, but I think I would probably go along with that in terms of Gillingham because um, I thought that maybe Liam Bridcut coming back for Lincoln would be quite a big factor for them, but it actually hasn't had as big an impact on results as maybe you would have expected. And um, I think to go there and win 3-0, I think, is is really impressive. And, you know, I think people talk about the style of football um, that Gillingham play under Steve Evans. I think sometimes the quality that Gillingham have goes unnoticed. I think you've said a few times, Matt, that, um, you know, if Jordan Graham's fit, he plays. And as a right winger, I think you'd have to go a long way to find someone better at this level. Um, Carl Dempsey, I think you'd have to put in the mix for one of the best midfielders in the league. I think maybe Pundy's made an impact since coming into the side. Uh, Vidane Oliver's been a brilliant acquisition as well. So, uh, really big win for Gillingham, that. And um, I think the form has put you into the playoff mix, which um, I think when I did a periscope with you a month or so ago after the Peter game, I think we were saying that, you know, you'd do well to finish in the top half this year, probably unlikely to push for the playoffs. But that result at, uh, at Lincoln is going to give you loads of confidence. Yeah, and Sean, what, did anything stand out for you? Maybe not best performance, but maybe surprising result or something, if we just look at it in a different way? Yeah, I think uh, one to point out really is, is Fleet was 2-0 when against Ipswich, because obviously Paul Cook came in. We I think most people expected Ipswich to sort of have an instant bounce with the quality that's in that squad. I think we know for a while that Paul Lambert's been underperforming with Ipswich and it's all sort of come to a sour end. And Simon Grayson's gone into Fleetwood again, low expectations for him on the opposite scale, really. And then he's gone in and made them really defensively sound. But they've also got a dynamism to their play and adaptability to their play that I think Grayson's sides of recent times haven't really had. And I think if you look at the likes of Jed Garner coming in and scoring goals for them, Carl Vassell's been such a handful up front since he's come back in. Obviously, they've lost Paddy Madden to Stockport. Um, I think picking up that 2-0 win there, obviously we'll go on to the result that happened re most recently with Fleetwood, but to keep picking up these sorts of victories for Grayson is is really just surprising and it, it keeps going on and on and you've got to think he's now well in a position to keep that job beyond the summer. Yeah, because obviously we have Ben normally on the show, but he's unavailable tonight. And he said, I think a few weeks ago, when, when Grayson had first come in, didn't he, Tom, that he, he wasn't a big fan and he thought it was going to be boring and sort of undynamic football. But he's, he's really changed his tune and his opinion over the last few weeks. And I think we've said before that the season at the moment, because we're playing Saturday, Tuesday so much, everything just accelerates so much quicker than in a normal season. And uh, I think Ben's all for Simon Grayson at the moment. I think he's almost forgiven the fact that he used to manage Blackpool as well. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you're spot on. I think, yeah, when he got asked by one of the viewers, um, do would you like Grayson permanently? He just put his heads in his head in his hands and and was quite upset about that comment. And and he's you know he's been persuaded a little bit by the Paul fans because under Grayson, um, and I'm sure the viewers will agree if he comments in, it was some of the worst football, if not the worst football, it's well for, for years and years and years. And he unfortunately, didn't have a clue. But 
as you've alluded to, we played them the other day. They were really well set up. Um, Hill was superb at the back, and it was a really interesting game to watch. There was no goals, but um, Bastel was a handball for us, and, and, and they defended valiantly as well. And I think a draw was fair on the day. And he's got a tune out of them, and he's changed their formation a little bit. As you said, they've just lost Madden, but Bastel sort of stepped up a little bit, and they're scoring goals all over the pitch as well. So Grayson will be happy f- from what he's taken over from whether he goes into next season or not as their manager, who knows? I don't know. I could tell, but financially, I think they probably will keep him and he'll be happy to settle there as well. What I would say, if I can, is um, I think this is quite an important time for Grace in his, in his career because I think you know, five years or so ago, you would have said, who's the best manager in League One? Who's the manager that's almost the closest thing to guaranteeing promotion from League One? And you'd say Simon Grayson, he did it with Blackpool in his first spell, did it with Huddersfield, did it with Leeds and did it with Preston. And then since going from Preston to Sunderland, who were an absolute basket case at the time, um, f- f- uh, failed at Sunderland and then had a spell at Bradford, short spell, didn't go particularly well, didn't quite see eye to eye with the owners. I think in those two jobs, you could kind of understand it because there's issues at those clubs at the time. But then... Blackpool, I think, as you as you mentioned, Tom, uh, the Blackpool job came at the time when um, Simon Sadler had taken charge. So there was stability there at boardroom level and he couldn't get things right. There was that reliance on Feeney and Nandwile as the only route to goal. So you do wonder whether Grayson was kind of running out of ideas and, and that would have been the concerns I would have had when he first took the Fleetwood job. But he's proving me and, and obviously Ben wrong so far. Yeah, you're right to point that out. I think Sadler, um, Sadler's actual quotation was all black for the the sort of the message that came out of Blackpool is we had no choice um, because it was just it was just a mess game after game and ultimately he, he decided he decided it for Sadler that everyone came to a mutual agreement that wasn't right and and now we've got a completely different manager on a different end of the spectrum in terms of his first managerial job. So it's quite interesting the the, the disparity between the two. But yeah, we move on. Yeah, there was one game Wednesday night as well, wasn't there? I forgot that, actually. Yeah, that was think... uh, Accrington at home to Sunderland. Obviously, that wasn't listed on the Tuesday night fixtures. They played Wednesday because of the um, stuffed crust pizza final at the weekend. Um, a really good win away to Accrington. Accrington that are just sort of clinging on to the coattails of them teams that, that are still trying to force their way into the playoffs. For me, I don't think it will happen. I just think they're going to run out of steam, essentially, because they've got such a small squad. Um, but they're having a fabulous season under John Coleman anyway, Accrington. But for me, Sunderland, probably the most informed side in the division at the moment and a, a pretty comfortable 2-0 win, which is probably not a game that they'd have won as comfortably if at all last season or the season before under Phil Parkinson and or Jack Russ. It probably ended up one all because that yeah. was their favourite result for about two seasons. Solid, wasn't it? But then we move on to last Saturday and there were some really good games again. Uh, just getting them up on the screen now. Uh, we've already spoken about the Cowleys opening up with a good 2-1 win over Ipswich and coming from behind as well after James Norwood had opened the scoring. So that was a really good start for them. Um, Fleetwood that Sean touched on, really good in the week. And then with a complete opposite, unfortunately, the weekend. But Swindon have got good players offensively and you have to remember that. And I think they changed their system. So credit John Sheridan a little bit because I know he's been under the cosh and I'm a Gillingham fan, so I'm meant to hate Swindon. Um but I think he changed the system and he went with a front three of, I think it was Jack Payne, um, Brett Pittman and the lad who scored, is it Scott Twine? Got yeah, both yeah. Goals. So yeah, in terms of a front three, if you need to score goals to get yourselves out of trouble, I think that's that's as good as, you know, anything in the bottom half at least. You know, it's not as good as stuff that's going to get you in the top six or the top two, but it's not a bad front trio if you're, if you're trying to score goals and get yourself out of trouble. So that was a really good away win for Swindon and a clean cheat, a dude in the world of good as well because they've been defensively shocking all season. Bristol Rovers look entrenched. It's I think it's, I don't know if Sean or Gabe or you, Tom, Agree. I think it's a six-team battle, isn't it, now for relegation? I don't think anyone else is going to get dragged in. I think it is that bottom six. It'll be four from them. Out of them six, I I wouldn't like to guess. I've changed my mind every week, so I'm not even going to try and hazard a guess who's going to go down at the moment because such is the magic of League One, if that's the right description. I'd imagine it's not if you're one of them six teams, but everyone seems to be beating everyone and it changes on a you know, a sort of three-day rotor at the moment because we play Saturday, Tuesday. So Northampton had picked up and then they lost at home to Crewe. Sunderland drew one all, but it wasn't a, a Sunderland one-all draw. It was a really good game by all accounts, what I saw on the um, 
quest highlights and what I read up on social media. And I thought Sunderland, I thought were good to win that after watching Lincoln last week against us. I thought Sunderland would win that comfortably. But so credit to, to Michael Appleton and his team. And they got to play a team that plays the right way. So then they can forget about the result against us, which didn't count if you listen to their interviews last week. Accrington back to winning ways against Wigan. Wigan, for me, I'd love them to stay up. I think it'd be a wonderful story because... They've had to go through so much over the last few years. And, and last season, Paul Cook had them, you know, I think their form was in the top six in the championship after the restart and they ended up getting relegated because of administration and mismanagement. Wimbledon still kicking and screaming, but they're drawing too many, not winning. Had a helping hand, like I say, from Charlton. That was too old. That looked a decent game. Um, Burton's winning run, unbeaten run, finally came to an end. So credit to Russell Martin and MK Dons against Rosebury. Picked up a really good point against Hull. Tom, you can talk about Oxford Blackpool. Yeah, um, best performance of the season, in my opinion. I think um, from start to finish, we actually started how every single Blackpool fan wanted us to see from the kickoff. We were, we were, I'll say it was, we weren't obviously as good as Man City, but it was the Man City esque in terms of closing down every single player that touched the ball for them and forcing them into mistakes. Set pieces were exceptional, which haven't, hasn't been the case this season. Although we scored a few corners, they've just been, they've just been, awful in terms of delivery maybe for every seven or eight corners we've had a good opportunity but spot on two set pieces two goals um and for me it was just nice to see us play one striker but play a system which enabled us to show what Critchley and Blackpool's all about defensively brilliant um although they had a couple of good chances we expect from a good Oxford side with some decent players but yeah for me best night of the season and we have beaten home we've beaten Portsmouth for the season and it was just nice to see picking up a good performance and we'll show what we can do when we've got such a hard run coming up. So yeah, that was, that was, um, it was just a pleasure and breath of fresh air to see. Um, Sean, you, you were at Aki. Um, how did Aki play? Cause I know, I know you were a bit worried about them, but they, they got a good victory in the end. Yeah, I think that was pretty massive for them, to be honest. Um, obviously, they're missing Colby Bishop and Joe Pritchard at the moment, and it was kind of, you were looking at it and thinking they might really tail off at the back end of the season with that small squad. Um, I know I was at um, John Coleman's post-match presser at, at Fleetwood, and he was saying that he was worried about the fatigue in the squad and the size of the squad, and that he didn't know how much longer this would last. Now, obviously, um, he's losing Dion Charles to Northern Ireland international duty. Um, so that'll be a big loss in the next couple of games, particularly with Colby Bishop not coming back yet. I'm pretty sure Joe Pritchard is going to be fit for the weekend. If not, then uh, the game afterwards. But they were they were really convincing. Obviously, there was that uh, early Callum Lang goal after a mistake at the back, but it was good for them to to rebound from that very quickly, and it showed their resilience really as well. And I think with Wigan as well, obviously we were talking about how um, we'd like to see them stay up. I think Callum Lang is a superb addition for them, particularly with. Um, Carl Joseph out at the moment obviously came back from from Scotland his time in Scotland and he's been scoring for fun since he's come back and I think that Wigan have a really good chance of staying up despite obviously that 3-1 loss they did look good and they looked dangerous from set pieces and they were so hard working as a side you, I think the thing with Wigan is you can't simply turn up and expect to turn over Wigan you have to be right on it else they will capitalise on your errors capitalise on your mistakes because they're such a hard working side yeah, I can you completely agree? And although we beat them five nil when we played at Bloomfield Road, they they still caused us a few problems. And it was um, yeah, it, like, like Matt said, we'll talk about the relegation battle in a minute. But um, I'd like them to stay up, even though they're relatively local rivals. It's going to be a good story and with new owners next season. Who know who knows what they can do? Uh, Gab MK Dons put a run to the machines that are Burton. Um, my opinion on this, I think when Blackpool played some football on Tuesday we actually kept the ball on the floor and not played 40 yard passes to a six foot striker they just let that up all half but as soon as we put the ball on the floor they tend to struggle with it and for me Russ, Russ Ball or Russell Martin's football they want to play he knows he wants to pass it do you think it was a case if they just they outpassed them they outfootballed someone like Burton and they weren't used to maybe playing teams that do that yeah, I think they. Um, I think they've got a really good side, to be honest. Uh, MK, they've got um, lots of really strong midfielders. I think some of the midfielders they've signed almost through necessity because of injuries to uh, Lou Thompson. Um, he came back into the um, substitute bench actually squad last time out got a run out. Um they've got also got David Kasumu uh, who's been out injured and he's a really talented young player. But I think the injuries to those players has kind of 
uh, forced uh, Ruth Martin towards signing the likes of Matt O'Reilly and Josh McEachran, who's, um, I mean, McEachran was talked about as being Kelsey's future at one point. He's always had the, the technical ability and maybe certain things have kind of held him back a little bit. But at League One level, I think he's going to be a real asset. And then you're looking at players like Matthew Sorinoli. You saw the um, the three assists that he got in one of their previous home games. And um, yeah, with that right-footed quality and his deliveries. And then you've got Scott Fraser sort of overlapping on the left and the experience of Cameron Durham up top. I think they've got some really good players. So I think with MK Dons, they um, uh probably a bit too late to uh, make much of this season. But I certainly think that they're going to be a really exciting to watch side to watch at this level um, next year. And um, on top of that, I'd also like to echo um, Matt's point that um, it's uh, it does look like four from six. I think with Burton and Shrewsbury, they actually started the season as two of the worst sides in the division. But since the change in the managers, um, they've, uh, they've really been transformed. So uh, I think I don't see anyone other than those six teams at the bottom going back. Yeah, I think we'll go on to talk about our relegation and sort of promotion um, predictions in a minute. But I've got a quick question here, which is um, definitely not to me and Matt, uh, to to Gab and um, Sean. Question for the Hacks regarding press and photo passes for League One games. Why are Datico so difficult to deal with when I apply for one match pass? They consistently say, no, I can't have one. I'm shooting pics for Instagram which fans would do anyway on iPhones and I'm using old vintage film cameras to do retro stuff type stuff they seem to be complete jobs worth polite objectives i don't know if you can shed any light on that but it's a question we've been asked so i'm going to put it to you um i mean mine goes officially through the the pros international channel so i'm not sure on individual match passes to be honest okay <laughs> um, <laughs> uh yeah moving on um so to just quickly sort of spend a few minutes just talking to you both sean and gab um we'll start with you gab um just talk through the viewers and, and the listeners when this goes out as the audio podcast. How did you get into sort of journalism and, you know, is it something you always wanted to do um, and, and where do you see yourself in the future? Yeah, it, it's definitely something I've always um, I've always wanted to do. I, um, I guess it started when uh, I, I first started writing a website um, in uh, around 2014 and um, off the back of that, I, I, I sort of, um, had some projects where I interviewed fans of different clubs and put together some written content for myself and uh, yeah gradually the website sort of grew uh, called Football Lab and then I think off the back of that uh, a couple of years afterwards it you know, had a, a reasonable amount of success and then I think from there I've started to gain offers from um, fr- uh, from various different websites and uh, I think it varies really in terms of getting into uh, journalism and um, it's kind of really I think hard work and, and being able to put the hours in uh, which I'm quite lucky in lots of ways because I've had a really supportive family that's allowed me the platform to kind of put some time towards working towards what I want to do whereas if you're under pressure to earn instantly then it's it's a very difficult to make a career out of it so I think in short I've been very fortunate but it's also about lots of hard work and also being open to opportunities and, and, and being able to spot things like that so um yeah very lucky but a lot of hard work as well yeah I'm sure and what do you ideally want to be doing in terms of journalism in the future is it just continuing and growing or is it you, have you got a specific goal in in mind Sure. Um, I think I really enjoy writing about the EFL and that's the bulk of my work at the moment. Um, I've set up a show called the EFL Fan Show, which is a a periscope and uh, I'm looking to kind of expand that and maybe get a bit more into video content because as much as I enjoy writing, I enjoy talking to football fans like yourselves and um, it'd be great to see if I can um, work my way towards broadcasting as a career. That'd be great as well. So, um, yeah writing and broadcasting really awesome well thank you um sean same goes to you um, i know you've recently been appointed at sort of bros but what does your journey look like and where do you want to go well yeah um similar to gabriel i've always sort of seen it as something that i want to do um i sort of put it off for a few years i was just in, in full-time work and then sort of went this year was the year that i was really going to go for it Um so i started at uni at uclan um doing my first year sports journalism so i'm still in my first year at uni now 
I think in terms of where I want to go with it, um, it what I've learned so far is that never to close off a channel where you, you feel like you might not be the best at or you might not want to do that because once you actually open those avenues and start to go into it, you realise that you start to really enjoy that. I'm generally on the writing side of things similarly as well. Obviously, I'm writing for Prost at the moment. Um, I also write for a Spanish football website and an Argentinian football website as well on the side. Um, and just really, it's just being consistent with my work, keep going and keep there may be a day where you wake up and realize you've got two or three articles you need to do but if you press through and get them done and then go on to the next thing and keep building and building then you realize that it's it becomes more of a, a hobby than than a chore no that's that's awesome and you know really good work from both of you matt do you have any questions for gabriel or sean no i think they've i think they've covered everything it's, it's good to sort of you know listen to people that are doing it professionally so to speak rather than us amateurs that are doing it and just chatting <laughs> on my phone so to speak but it's um you know we all do it our own different way don't we and it's always interesting and, and learning from different types of journalists pundits whatever we want to label ourselves and um i've spoke i mean obviously i've had more dealings with gabe and sean but obviously i'm sure sean's work's brilliant as well but i can only i can't speak too highly of gabe apart from when he puts tweets out on at the weekend and then leaves me to take pelters to put some uh content oh, and you set yourself up for that matt i think i did not you set it up lovely and then you just disappeared <laughs> off the face of the earth for 24 hours <laughs> yeah the, the fact you didn't reply to that tweet and left matt to absolutely like have a shield and a little stick to hold, to hold out the opposition fans for those that you don't know gabe um put some uh, put a tweet out just to say Steve Evans said Gillingham have got the smallest budget in League One, which will make many lower leagues or low, lower bit smaller clubs, sorry, laugh a bit. Um, and then it just got an absolute barrage of um, tweets from uh, your, your smaller clubs, including I think Andy Holt got involved at Accrington, didn't he? There was something indirectly that I'd seen Andy Holt got involved yeah. in yeah, with the price of football, but there was um, one particular supporter of another Northern club that I won't mention that was like a dog with a bone, bless him. But um, we all protect our own club, don't we? And, and like I said on social media, and I tweeted out at the time, Steve Evans is doing it for a reason and one reason only, and that's to, to get under the skin of other managers and other teams and other fan bases and to give our players an edge. So all he's trying to do is make us feel like we're the underdog, that we have to work a little bit harder to achieve stuff. And it's working. And like I mentioned to, to Gabe as well, I said this this supposed low budget wasn't an issue to anyone back in November, December, where we couldn't buy a win and weren't scoring enough goals and were sitting 15th. But now because little Gillingham are bloody in the nose of a few more fancy teams like Lincoln and Portsmouth and Charlton, suddenly what we spend or don't spend has become a massive issue. But it's all good fun. And if it's all done the right way, it's, 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 you know, it's all part of social media banter or whatever we call it, whatever the kids call it. And I enjoy it as long as it's done the right way. They call it uh, football Twitter. It's actually a thing if you look it up. It's actually a... <laughs> and he's just put a comment in here. So these sort of things make such a refreshing change to the national media's obsession with the boring chess game that is the Premier League. I couldn't agree more. It is... Yes. Cheers to that. Absolutely, yeah. Cheers. That's uh, so a good comment, Andy. And Les Smith, um, just relating back to what you were saying, Sean, about deadlines, I think that I've learned in my brief cricket writing career that the deadline is your friend. The closer it gets, the better you write. I don't know if you agree with that. I'm not sure. But... I would, I would, yeah. Awesome. So thanks for your comments, guys. Keep getting them in. We're going to talk about the form guide now and we're going to hand you back over to the amazing Matt. <laughs> um, and we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to talk about the form guide um, and uh, I still don't think I can predict the playoffs, but we're going to give it a crack, guys, and get your comments in because it's it's it's, um, it's a tough one to crack, both relegation and playoffs. Um, but we're going to get this up on the screen um, now. Matt's going to talk us through a little bit of the form guide um, and where his thoughts lie and, and the rest of us. Thank you, John. That's big enough. I can see that. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's pretty much true to form the top two. If you look at that, I think that's pretty understandable. Whole top of the league at the moment for a reason. With with you know five wins and a draw from their last six, they was absolutely flying. And I think that probably makes that a better result for Shrewsbury at the weekend as well. And they weren't too far away from actually picking up all three points. And such is the funny world of football. I think it was an ex Shrewsbury player of the year that scored the equaliser, wasn't it, in Doherty, which is always. Um, an interesting turn of events and comes back to bite you on the arse a little bit. Sunderland, as we've said, absolutely flying. Four wins, bookended by two draws. But like we said, the draw against Lincoln wasn't a poor draw. Jill's third. Look at that. Whew, who'd have thought it, eh? <laughs> that's really good. We'll, we'll talk about that for a few minutes. So that's the reason we're, we're knocking on the door of the playoffs. I still think we've probably left ourselves just a little bit too much to do the start of the season. But because look... 
we've got we've got four home games that are probably all winnable on paper. I think it's Shrewsbury, Northampton, Wigan, and Plymouth. But even if we win all of them, we then got to try and find probably six to eight points on the road, and we've still got to go to Hull, to Peterborough, to Burton, to Blackpool. Um, so it's going to be tough, um, to, and to hold this Saturday, obviously as well. But if we can go to Hull and get a positive result, who knows? We're still in there fighting. Burton's unbelievable run finally came to an end, but they're still playing really well. Fleetwood, like we've already mentioned, I think Sean and Gabe have spoke highly of Simon Grayson's work. They're doing really well, aside from that odd defeat at the weekend. Charlton, change of manager, gives them a chance. Patton says that they should win their next game, looking at the last six where they've gone win-draw, win-draw, win-draw. Blackpool, we've spoken about them already, haven't we, Tom, in terms of games in hand, but they're going to be tough. My only concern with Blackpool is the fact that you're going to be playing pretty much Saturday, Tuesday, right way through now till the end of the season. But you've got a decent enough squad with good quality and good cover. So they've they've got to be right in the mix. Um, MK Dons, Gabe touched on them, I think, um, in terms of this season. It's probably too late to, to surmount a challenge for the playoffs, but they're in good form. Oxford, a bit in and out. I backed them a few weeks ago, either them or, Ox, um, them or Ipswich to gatecrash the top six, but their form looks a little bit patchy for me at the moment. Peterborough's a strange one because they don't seem to have been out the top two for ages, but their form is all over the show at the moment. There's a lot of multicoloured bits in there. Uh, if we go down further to the bottom clubs rather than just the ones in the middle, Plymouth ended that horrendous losing streak with a win at the weekend. Rochdale... I can't work Rochdale out. For me, they go down because they go through these spells where they score loads. I think it was on Quest at the weekend. They've, they've scored three goals in games at home on four occasions this season, but haven't won any of them. And you can't concede that amount of goals and not win football matches. Oh, sorry, you can't score that amount of goals and continually fail to win football matches. So for me, they're going to end up bottom. Portsmouth tells you why they sat Kenny Jacket, but then there's a bit of green right away after Danny Cowley comes in. So I'd imagine they'll start rising up that form table pretty quickly. Lincoln, another one of the good sides in the division, but struggling at the moment. Um, and Ipswich as well, I think is probably the other one to take note of in terms of Paul Cook. I think we all thought they'd have a bit more of a bounce when he came in, but it's not really taken off yet. Lost to Gillingham, lost their last two and have only picked up a single victory. So, yeah, it's the magic of League One, like we've already mentioned. There's there's plenty of weird results in every round of fixtures, and it, it's why we all love watching it. Yeah, I completely agree. And we're going to... We're going to bring um, Sean um, and Gabe in now to talk about sort of the playoff chase and the relegation chase. Um, we're just going to get the table up. Um, Sean, we'll start with you. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the, 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 the party side of the table first, although this is very difficult to call. It's probably looking at the table. If you just scroll down a little bit, please. Um, I think, um, yeah, Oxford um, have played two more games. Um than Blackpool, but they're still a really good football inside. And with, with nine games to go, they can still do something with 27 points. But what's your thoughts on the top six and who do you think is going to mount a late challenge? Yeah, well, obviously, every single time you come back and have a look at this, there's either been a managerial change or something big's happened where it completely throws off your initial predictions. I think I've probably changed it about seven times now in the past month or so. Um, obviously, Nigel Atkins is coming at Charlton. Charlton, for me, were one of the ones that were going to fall off a cliff. Um, at the back end of the season, were it not for that for that change, um, now really you think about it. Nigel Atkins is a fantastic manager, and you've got, as we said before, we've got we've got so many goal scorers in their side and so many good players at their disposal that you've got to think that they'll be up there. I think Andy Butler, after initial good start, after Darren Moore left, is probably falling and fading now. And I think that Doncaster, although they've got a couple of games in hand. I think if you look at that top six, they're probably the weakest side in there. And I'd probably say in, in the top 10 as well, um, alongside probably Ipswich. Obviously, Paul Cook's not had that um, big bounce that we were expecting as well. Um, Blackpool are the team for me at this point in time. They're the, the ones that are going to make the charge to the playoffs. I really can't see how, especially after that win away at Oxford. Um, obviously, they've got a few big games coming up soon. But I just think that they're on such a good run of form and they're showing despite the fact that they've got a number of key figures out and key injuries and a change in formation, they've got such a good squad that they're able to cope with these sort of offsets of the season. And you've got to think that they'll be one of the strongest challenges. Um, I think Sunderland win the league as well. Um, I think that Lee Johnson's got, uh, I know there's another podcast that call him Streaky Lee. Um, I think he's on another one of those runs, which he does. Um, and I think that if you look at Hull and Peterborough, they've got the, 
the capability in them to sort of go on, as Peterborough have been doing recently, a bit of a wobbly run. And I think Sunderland are going to be too consistent for those um, those places. And yeah, no, I can't. I don't disagree with much. Something keeps telling me um, that Hull will still have enough to get promoted because I think Peterborough are going to have a little wobble um, and the quality that I'll have. And I, I just, something still tells me that they're going to do it, but we'll see. Um, Gabriel, your your thoughts on the on the top six? Do you think there's going to be change in the top two as well? I would probably echo Sean's thoughts about Sunderland coming into the top two. I'd probably disagree with him on who would drop out. I would probably have Peterborough finishing in the playoff places um, because I feel like they can only play well in one half of football. I feel like there's quite a big gap in quality between what they've got in the front three, um, Smodic, Dembele, Johnson, Clark, Harris, and maybe the rest of the team. So I think what you're seeing is periods where they're quite disjointed and then periods when they are able to get into the final third regularly and that front three just destroys teams, um, as Matt knows all too well. Um, but, um, but I think in terms of the playoff places, I would be a little bit worried about Doncaster because they've got Andy Butler in charge and he's coming in from the cold pretty much straight from his playing career. doesn't really have an experienced assistant or a director of football to lean on and I think that makes things a bit tricky. So I would say that Portsmouth have a good chance of, of getting into the top six and possibly Blackpool as well. Matt? Can you predict the top six? <laughs> no, in a word. <laughs> I've already told you that. Um, I'm going to go with Sean on this one. I still think Sunderland and Peter will be the top two. I backed Peterborough at the start of the season, so I'm going to have to stick my neck out and continue to say that Peterborough will just win the league from Sunderland. I think Hull will have their wobble and I think they'll just drop into the playoffs. Agree regarding Doncaster after watching them at the weekend. Credit to them for coming back into it after going 2 nil down after four minutes. That shows a lot of mental fortitude for me, but Andy Butler, inexperienced as a manager, I think might end up costing them. Lincoln, form's really patchy, as we've already spoken about. There's potential for them to fall out as well, but they might just have too many points on the ball to actually fall out of the top six. Um, but I think in terms of those that are in contention, we probably go no lower than Accrington. They've got a couple of games in hand over Charlton. I think that's probably from them upwards, if anyone's going to try and mount a challenge. But again, not to sound like I'm copying Sean, but I think Blackpool, based on form and the fact that they've got the most games in hand over pretty much everyone, gives them as good a chance as anyone of getting into that top six. Charlton, I'm not sure because of, of Nigel Atkins. Like I say, it's a it's an intriguing one for me, like I mentioned earlier, because of the fact that he's completely different to Lee Bowyer. And it's just interesting to see how the players respond to that. I'm sure they'll be fine. And again, if they don't get in the playoffs this season, they'll be a big threat next season for sure. I think um, um, someone is someone in those. Uh, Josh, I think it was. Um, he's put if I was to pick a team, I don't want to play at the moment. It's Gillingham. I completely agree with him, and I disagree with a lot of uh, people on social media. I do think they play decent football, and they've got the players to play football on the floor, and they've got some real big goal scoring threats. And as we spoke about on um, on Twitter as well, um, Matt, that for Dean Oliver's a. Uh, a permanent fixture in team of the week, so it might as well be ten plus for Dane Oliver every single week at the moment. So he's causing some big problems, and if he carries on the way it is, there's no there's no reason why with how many games we've got, although a bit less than others, that he can't keep picking up wins. And with your home games, the thing with us as Jills, it's in our hands. We've still got to go to Hull, like I said, we've still got to go to Peterborough. So if we can go there and pick up points and we can win our own games, we're going to have a great chance. But it's like, there's just that nagging thing with Jules is that we just left ourselves a little bit much to do with our inconsistencies in the first half of the season. Since the January transfer window, we've been as good as anything in the league. And I'm not saying that with my Gillingham hat on. I'm trying to say that if a, you know with an unbiased hat on. And you only have to look at the form guides to, to show that and back that up. We've been absolutely superb. The signings that have come in have really improved us. The Ollie Lees, I know he's not been in the side the last couple. Callum Slattery before he got injured. Robbie Cully's given Jack Tucker a regular partner and suddenly we look a lot better. We're still not keeping enough clean sheets, but that's going to happen when you've got two centre-backs that are 22 and below. And the oldest player we've got in that back four is Ryan Jackson. Everyone else is 27 and under, including the keeper. But Stuart O'Keefe's been a massive plus getting back fit before the end of the season. He's been absolutely superb. There was one tackle in the Lincoln game last week absolutely rattled Liam Bridcott in the first couple of minutes, I think it was, and set the tone. And from there, we were absolutely brilliant. And uh, it would be nice to keep bloody in a few noses, like I say, little old Gillingham ruffling a few feathers. But I think, sadly, we'll just miss out. 
Yeah, a comment from Alan here. The biggest problem for Blackpool is going to be fatigue. Totally agree. If, if players come back from injury, we've got about six players out still on another injury today. Matty Virtue, so fingers crossed he's not out for, for a long time. Richard, um, looking forward to the Swindon Paul game on April 2nd. I've got a press pass for that one. Um, so hopefully Paul beat the Robins. It's going to be a um, team that sneaks in that winner. You'd take Lincoln and Donny in the playoffs. That's from Josh. And then Matt Smith, as I've just alluded to, is injury after injury at Blackpool. Guys, just a very quick two minute summary or if that on or one minute summary on who you think is going down um for me i think wigan stay up and i'm gonna call it now i think bristol rovers are gonna go down sean um i've gone with wimbledon swindon northampton and rochdale going down um i've never really been a fan of john sheridan um and i think ultimately despite that win at fleetwood um it'll start to go back to the same sort of run that they've been on because it's such an over-reliance on brett Pittman and scott twine to sort of their individual qualities to dig them out of a hole rather than having that structure to their play um i like wimbledon what they're doing with mark robinson um i think their style of play has been adapted and they look uh, a lot better on the ball and i think to be honest if they keep him and, and uh go into league two and try and change their style of play from what they've been doing i think it could do them a favor in the long run being able to build that back up and then and, and then go again and have a real go at league one but yeah that's my bottom four gap i'm gonna go with the bottom two teams being the two teams to stay up I think Rochdale putting in a really good performance at Lincoln and uh, coming very close to getting back-to-back wins against Peterborough, I think that's a massive couple of results for them and I do think they've got goals in them. So I'm going to say Rochdale are going to stay up and I'd echo Sean's thoughts. I like Mark Robinson at AFC Wimbledon. Northampton, I think, four goals against Portsmouth was a little bit of a, um, a flash in the pan. Perhaps their, goals, their home goal-scoring issue has been massive for them uh, this season. Wigan, I'd like to see stay up, but I don't quite think they'll have enough. Crystal Rovers, I think there's a mentality issue there and I'm not sold on John Sheridan. So, Rockdale and FC Wimbledon, although they're the bottom two teams at the moment, I think they're the ones that are going to say it. You heard it here, fans. Rochdale, Wimbledon. Um, if you don't go up the scab, uh, don't start the scab's fault. <laughs> uh, Matt, is your is your mind changed? I know you said you changed your mind quite a lot about it, but... Pretty much after every set of fixtures, yeah, because like we mentioned earlier, Swindon looked doomed and we beat them last Saturday and were abs- and absolutely comfortable. I mean, I know they took the lead, but the conditions were awful first half and we was playing into a gal. And as soon as we got the level up, their confidence just completely folded and it was quickly 2-1 and quickly 3-1 and then we just saw it out really easily. So they've still got problems, but they've given themselves a chance. Bristol Rovers, I worry about the Joey Barton thing like the Paul Cook thing. It's not really happened, has it? And I think the interview that he's put together today for the Bristol Post where he's come out and absolutely annihilated his captain, Max Amar, in the press and saying that he's still making the same mistakes now that he did when they was together at QPR as a kid and he's not captain material, he's not a leader, he's not vocal. He wasn't vocal or a leader in that sense at Jules, but he was a leader in the sense that he was playing well. So obviously it becomes harder to be that type of captain when the team's struggling. So I fear for Bristol Rovers, I just think, Barton's taken a massive risk by going that public and going that far in on a captain. Is Max Amar going to want to play for him now? Are other people going to play for him? So I'm worried about them. Regarding Rochdale and Wimbledon, I think they'll still go down. Rochdale, I know, score lots, but they concede far too many. 67 in the goals against Columns a huge problem for me. Um, so the bottom two and then any two from four, but I'd love Wigan to stay up, like I keep saying. Yeah. So I've been very non-committal, sorry. That's all right. We'll, we'll change our mind on next Monday show. Um, uh, talking on next Monday show, we're going to be re- reviewing as we do fixtures. Uh, so, so we've got a few fixtures tomorrow, and we've got a big set of fixtures on Saturday. So, um, I'm just going to get the fixtures up on the screen now, so we can talk about them. So, tomorrow, the biggest game um, for me, actually, obviously being being a Blackpool fan, Blackpool Peter is massive, but Bristol Rovers and and Swindon for me is that that the most horrible of the game you don't want to watch and it's probably going to be a nil-nil because both teams aren't going to want to lose but um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Bristol Rovers turn it around at home if they can defend um, but that's my prediction for that game Blackpool people I can't call so I'll leave that one with either Matt or Gab um, Burn Shrewsbury and Northampton Oxford um, and then Friday we've got Oxford Lincoln just to touch upon sort of the Blackpool people game Sean what, where are your thoughts out with that one? Um, well obviously I'll, I'll be there tomorrow night and I think that Blackpool are going to win that game. Um, <laughs> I think Blackpool are going to win that game. Um, I think 
that Peterborough obviously have had a bit of a wobble, but I think it's more about the confidence Blackpool are taking into that game. I think they need a win at home now after they've had a few draws as well. But you look at Bloomfield Road, they've not lost there since October. Um, I think Dan Ballard being out will be a big miss at the back. And it'll be interesting to see if Daniel Gretson gets thrown straight back in. I know he's fit. Um, he missed Oxford because of uh, the birth of his child. Um, so if they can keep that structure at the back, which they've been able to do no matter what defensive partnership they've had this season, you've got to think that Blackpool will win that game. Yeah. Any other fixtures that stand up for you there, Gabe? It's, uh, I think uh, you've obviously got Northampton against Oxford, the Chris Wilder derby, if you like, uh, which is going to be an interesting one. Um, I uh, obviously think both teams are going to need the points for, for different reasons in that one. Northampton, um, obviously in desperate need of a victory, and Oxford have to keep up their playoff challenge. I might slightly disagree on Bristol Rovers Swindon. I'm not sure that it's about drawing. I think in the, in League Two, there's only two relegation spots, so draws are, are much better if you're a side struggling in League Two. But I think in League One, because there's four teams going down, I don't think draws are, are enough. So I think both teams will see it as an opportunity to get points against a relegation. Fair enough. No, it's a good chat. I, I think Bristol Rovers will sneak. I think the way they played at Aki showed they can score goals. And if mm. Swindon maybe off to a good start, then Bristol Rovers could run right, could run right. So because they've got some decent sort of attacking players as well. Um, we'll start off. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on to Saturday's fixture. Sorry. So we've got Wimbledon, Northampton. There's another massive game down at the bottom. So some big games in the next two sort of set of fixtures. We've got Blackpool, Plymouth, Bristol Rovers, Sunderland again. That's a massive game for Bristol Rovers, and if they don't defend, then that could be, you know, could be a, a big score for Sunderland. Hull City, Gillingham. That's a massive game for you, Matt. MK Dons, Doncaster. Again, that's going to be a decent game for MK Dons to play at home. They're on good form at the moment. Peter Rackington, Stanley. See that as a routine home win potentially with the with the ability they've got. But Aki are resilient. Shrewsbury, Portsmouth, Wigan, and and, and Ipswich. So any, any fixtures there that, that stand out for you guys? I'll start off with you, Matt. Yeah, I picked out a couple. I, I forgot about the Friday night one. I think that's a huge game as well. Basically, after what Gabe said about Oxford needing to keep the momentum for their playoff push, I think if they could get a positive result in the week and then go and get something at home to Lincoln, that could give them some confidence for the running. So I think they've got a really big week coming up. And in the, at the same time, if they could beat Lincoln, Lincoln's form continues to slide and they'll be looking over their shoulder a little bit more anxiously than they already are. I picked out a couple more. I think Shrewsbury Pompey will be an intriguing one. I think after Shrewsbury's draw with um, Hull last weekend, I think that'll be a good test for Danny Cowley to see where his team really is um, and where they are in terms of the top six. Um, Steve Cotterill, I know he's back home again now, so um, best wishes to Steve from all of us, I think. And it's great to see him recovering again for the second time from long COVID. Um, and the last one I've gone for... AFC Wimbledon against Northampton, I think it is, isn't it, as well? Did I see? Yeah, that's absolutely huge. That's got the definition of six-pointer written all over it for me. Yeah. Um, just other than what Matt spoke about, Sean, it, you got one fixture that stands up for you for Saturday? Yeah, I'd probably say the, the Wimbledon game. Um, I think that that's a massive game for them at home if they're going to have any chance of surviving. I think they play some good football and I think that Northampton probably won't have enough of them and it could quite easily get away from them. Um, I'd probably just also touch on um, Portsmouth uh, against Shrewsbury because I think Portsmouth are going to win the games by the odd goal. I don't think they're going to blow away a side and I think it's important to, to put in a good performance and get three points against a side like Shrewsbury, which has always been a tough place to go since Cottrell's gone back there. Yeah, I agree. And just finally, um, so the best to last, Gab, and, and any fixtures from, from on Saturday that, 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 you, that you think is going to be a decent game over the ones we've mentioned? Uh, well, worth flagging up Wigan against Ipswich. This will be the first time that Paul Cook returns to his former club since leaving. It's unfortunate that he wasn't able to build on his time with Wigan and, uh, and maybe they could be pushing for promotion in the championship this season. Had financial issues not happened, but good to see that Wigan could be OK if the Bahraini takeover happens. They'll be able to, to get funds to, to run the club properly, hopefully. Uh, and they can start moving forward. But um, certainly a sentimental factor in going back to Wigan. Awesome. Well, that leaves me just to say thank you very much. We'll start with you, Gab. Thank you for coming on. Um, it's, it's been really good to have you on and, and hear your insight on, on the EFL. Uh, it's my pleasure, folks. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Sean, thank you very much. Yeah, cheers. Thank you. Thank you. And then, Matt, as usual, thank you. Um, it's been awesome. Really as good. As always. Show. 
Um, yeah, all that leaves me to say is please like and subscribe to the Seasiders Pod, who are our, our kind hosts. Um, please like, uh, subscribe to their YouTube channel because you'll get an alert to say when we go live on a Monday um, and see some other good shows during the week as well. Um, and please um, follow us on Twitter, where it just hit 650 followers on the third tier. So it'd be really, really decent to keep that growing and make these live shows bigger. And also subscribe to the YouTube channel that'll be launching for next season as well. And we'd greatly appreciate that. Thank you very much.